Good morning. Welcome to Wednesday Night Oasis uh, for Wednesday, uh, February 24th. We're glad you're with us today. Hey, we are in part seven of the series titled Dumb Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. And so we're going to be talking about that in our series today. And we're coming, boy, can, you can believe it, we're coming up to the final message next week on that and it's going to pull everything together so don't miss that um, uh, today we're going to ask you to open to Acts chapter 12 Acts chapter 12 now I want to warn you that there's construction going on in my house there they're demoing some stuff and fixing some stuff and uh, that type of thing so if you hear noise in the background that's what's going on so bear with us and uh, we'll go to our message. Let's pray. Well, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to hear your word, to study your word. Lord, come uh, today and give us wisdom, give us uh, knowledge. Lead us, Father, um, in this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. It was about this time when King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that, this met with his approval among the Jews. He proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for the public trial after Passover. So let's stop right there for a minute. Here's, here's what's happening. Now, when you think King Herod, you think of the historical character, King Herod the Great, he was known as. The reason he got that name was because he said, I think that sounds really good. I like being called King Herod the Great. And so that's what they called him, and he went down in history uh, with that name. Uh, he was the one who said to the Magi, who was going to uh, see Jesus, um, hey, when you find him, let me know. I'd like to meet him too. Of course, the Magi, Magi did not go back that way. And so Herod, this Herod, uh, King Herod the Great, was the one that had all the Jewish babies under two years old killed. And so that was that King Herod. Not long after that, he died. And there was a new king. And then that king was known as Herod Antipast. Now, here's what you have to know. All the Herods were bad guys, right? Herod Antipast was the one that uh, he's having a drinking party with a bunch of guys. And you'll remember him in the story because he has his daughter come in. And he tries to convince her to dance for everyone. You know, if I could just see a, a, a drunken party full of guys and they're wanting this young woman to dance for them. 
and he finally says to her, "I'll give her any. I'll give you anything that you want if you'll do it." So she dances, and she then after she's done, she says, "Here's what I want: the head of John the Baptist." And so that's that King Herod's claim to fame. And then there's the one that we're talking about today. This is the one called Herod Agrippa. That's his name, Herod Agrippa the First, by the way. Herod Agrippa the First. He was a popular man um, because he was a guy who had sympathy for the Jewish people. And the Jewish people liked him. And so uh, what happened there was that um, he tried to do things in a way that they really liked him and and he was the one who captured James and killed him right um, now the um, Jewish people really liked that he real they really liked that because uh, he was preaching Christ to people you know uh, so uh, here now this king goes says, um, all right, let's go get Peter because if they like me for killing James, they're really going to love me for killing Peter. So they go and they capture him. This is the same Herod that um, we read about where there's a back and forth between him and Pilate when it concerns Jesus. You handle this. No, you handle this. No, you. And it does that kind of thing. So here he's killed James, and something has happened. In 20 years, there's about 100,000 Christ followers in Jerusalem. So even though he killed James, there's a whole bunch more now of Christ followers in the land. He sees that the Jews are pleased with his killing of James. And so now he goes after Peter. He captures Peter. But he doesn't want to bring him in front of the people because it's Passover time. So he decides to wait. That's kind of laying the scene of where we are at in the story. Now, Acts chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. After arresting him, he put him in prison handing him over to the guards by four squads with four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him to the public trial after Passover. And look at verse 5 because that's the verse we want to key into. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now in verse 5, that one that we just read, what do we see so important there? That the church was earnestly praying for Peter. What were they praying? That he would escape, that they would let him go, that he would get out of there, right? I mean, that's the honest thing that you would think about. That's what they would do. So here he is, uh, and he's being held captive. Verse 6, Acts 12, 6. The night before Herod was to bring to him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. 
bound with chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Think of that picture. Peter is not going anywhere, right? He is chained up. He's sleeping between two people, and he's he's got guards at the door. Uh, and Peter's just waiting for Passover to pass over, if you will. Uh, <clears throat> does that picture sound familiar to you? See, this was how they did it when someone who was really important was being guarded. You might remember when Jesus was um, put in the tomb after he had died. They had squads of men that were guarding the tomb. You know, don't let anybody in kind of thing, right? That's what they were told. I guess they should have been told, don't let anybody out either because Jesus came out, but that they didn't, they weren't told that. So anyway, the, they said, don't let anybody in. These were not training soldiers. These were the best elite of the men. I mean, these were like the, uh, oh, I don't know what you would call them, uh, top people, the SEALs, like Navy SEALs kind of thing. You know what I mean? These were top people. And so Peter was going to be brought to trial after Passover, but it really wasn't going to be a trial as you and I would know it. This was more of a lynch mob. They were going to bring him in front of the people and say, hey, here's what he's done. Here's what we're going to do. Thanks a lot. See you later. Goodbye. Uh, Acts chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and the light shone in the cell. A light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on the clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening because he thought he was seeing a vision. Am I dreaming here? Is this really happening? And then in verse 10, they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gates leading to the city. It opened for them by itself. That must have been cool, right? Uh, and they went through it. When they had walked the, the length of one street, suddenly the angels left him. See, he was, he was out, he was free, and he was going. I want you to think about this a minute now. Um, Peter finds himself in a prison. And the next day, he knows he's in uh, for a haircut, and the haircut starts right about here. You know what I'm saying? He's going he's gonna to get a head cut. He's dying tomorrow. And what is the first thing we notice? He's in bed sleeping. He's sleeping. Tomorrow he's going to have his head chopped off. 
and now he's sleeping. If you had a comfort bed, what, what number would you have to put that on to be able to be comfortable enough to sleep? I would think you'd be up and awake, uh, moving around, trying to figure out what to do. How am I going to get out of this? But there's one thing I think we see here in this part of the story. Peter knows that God is in control, and there's nothing he can do about it. So why have a sleepless night? Why toil about it? Why have fear about it? Why worry about it? Because God is in control of this. Let me ask you, how many sleepless nights do you have when you're fixed on something you have absolutely no control over? I don't know. I think that there's a message there. So Peter is out, and he's on the move. He's away from the prison. He's, he's out. Acts chapter 12, verse 11 and 12. These were people now who were earnestly praying for Peter. Acts 12, 11 and 12. Then Peter came to himself and said, now I know about the doubt that the Lord has sent his angels and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Now, remember, now they're praying earnestly that Peter is freed in some way. Now, in the story here, or in these verses, you see they get pretty specific about Mary. And the reason they do that is because Mary was a very popular name in those days. I mean, I love names like that that are, you know, very popular, that were popular at one time. You Today you go to the mall and you say, oh, what a beautiful baby, and what's, what's the baby's name? And they say Willow or Breeze or something like that. You know what I'm saying, like something out there. Uh, my point is that in this verse when they say Mary, People had to be clarified, which Mary was it? The mother of John, which John? I mean, John was a popular name, right? That's it. The one who was also called Mark. Oh, okay, I get it. I know which one you're talking about now. So Mark was famous. He was a famous guy. And he wrote the book of what? Luke, right? No, no, of course, Mark, right? He wrote the book of Mark. So here is Mark. He's famous. He wrote this book, and um, here's interesting. Here's what's interesting about Mark. Um, he wasn't that popular with Paul. You know, Paul didn't want Mark with him, so they got to a place, and Paul took Silas, and Barnabas went with Mark. Now, here's the interesting part between that time of separation there. Something had to happen because at the end of Paul's life, he sends for Mark. Why would he do that? The answer is because 
he was useful for service. Here's the point. Don't miss it. Failure is never final. Failure is never final. Listen, we all fail at times in our lives. The most popular people in the Bible that have, they all have something in common. Not only do they do great things for God, but they had failed in their lives several times. Uh, so here they are. And, and this sounds kind of amusing almost. Here are these people in this house, and they are really praying earnestly for Peter. There's a knock at the door, and someone says, who, you know, who is it? And it's Peter. So the, the, the person runs to the group and says, hey, Peter is at the door. And they go, oh, she's crazy. And maybe it's an angel or something, but it's not Peter. See, they've been praying earnestly for Peter. And now Peter's there and they don't believe it. Isn't that interesting? Prayer's funny sometimes. That's the way people are sometimes. Oh, we'll, play, we'll pray with all of our heart, but if it happens to happen, then we'll be shocked and not believing it. It's a funny thing. I don't know about you, but as a child, I grew up in a church that there were ways to pray. And people prayed the same way all the time. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. And, and you said it that way, and sometimes you said it that fast. But today in our, in our, in our world, or as we've grown, um, in my own life, in fact, uh, when I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior as an adult, I found myself in a place where I, I was with people and I started to pray. And that was the way I knew how to pray. And I was kind of like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Andy. That's nice. I know what you're doing. I understand where you get that from. But listen, just speak to God like you're speaking to me. And let me tell you something, my prayer life changed uh, uh, 180 degrees, right? It turned around. It was totally different. And I began to pray to God in a way that led to a personal, deeper relationship with him. Friends, that's the way we need to, we need to pray. So here these people are praying. Now Peter comes in. And they are astonished. They can't believe it. Acts 12, 16 through 17. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him. And what, what happened? What was with them? They were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet. I could just see him doing that and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. So spread the word. Tell the truth. Tell what you've seen. Tell what God has done for me. Tell what happened. Verse 18. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had happened 
or what had become of Peter. It, there was no small commotion because there was a big commotion. They were freaking out. Verse 19. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. See, this is serious business to the guards. Anytime you read that, that their people are being guarded, uh, they, didn't, they didn't fall asleep. Because if you slept and you were a guard, you were dead. See, their life was on the line. That brings us to dumb mistake number seven. Accepting glory that isn't yours. And in our story, Herod is the one who makes the dumb mistake. He is in charge. Herod goes from Judea to, to uh, Caesarea and stays there for a while. In other words, if you don't know this, Judea is one place that's kind of not the most beautiful place. But Caesarea was like going to uh, the beaches on San Diego, if you know what I mean, right? So Herod, after all this is going on, goes to the beach. Okay, let's just say that. Verse 20 through 23, Acts 12, verses 20 through 23. He had been quarreling with the people. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support uh, of Blastus, a, a trusted personal servant of the king. They asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. So now these people are afraid of not having food. They're asking for peace. Verse 21. On the appointed day, Herod wearing his royal robes, so he's looking really cool and official, you know, he's got the robes on, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. So he was really uh, something else to say. They shouted, this is the voice of a god, not a man. So they are really building him up. Herod, you're not you're not a man. You're a god. Uh, verse 23. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Oh my goodness, I gotta move my seat here. I can't imagine... Can you believe this? So here he is. He's on the throne. He's getting credit. People are saying, you're not a man. You're a god. And he's not saying, no, no, thank you, but uh, God gets the glory. God is God. I am not God. He doesn't say that. He just takes the glory. He's, he's dressed for it. He's all dressed in this beautiful silver clothing, you know, kind of thing. Um, so here's what we see happening in these three verses. Herod didn't die 
and then was eaten by worms. I want you to notice that. He didn't die and was eaten by worms. He was eaten by worms first. I hope you're not eating dinner right now because that's not a picture you want to really imagine. But here he is. He's being eaten by worms and to the death. Now, look at the second thing that it points out. Um, Luke is, is talking because he's the writer of this Acts, right? He's the main writer. Um, all this happened after the people said, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. And he didn't praise God. And he died. Bible commentaries tell us that he suffered for five days. Imagine that being eaten by worms for five days. He was sick, sick, sick. And he didn't give God praise. Now, they're taking Herod and the suffering he had to his face um, because he received um, praise when he shouldn't receive praise. He, they, they looked at this and they said he received praise when he shouldn't have received praise. And he should have given the praise to God. Do you know this is a problem man battles. It's a problem we all battle at times. Um, Unfortunately, what the truth is that sometimes we have too low a view of God and too high a view of man. There's times in the Bible when you really read about God's mercy and patience with mankind because he really had to have that. Because so often we are self-absorbed and self-centered, accepting glory when it's God who deserves the glory. <clears throat> you get that? Uh, Sometimes we, we get God's glory, and God deserves all the glory for anything that happens in our lives. Now look, look at verse 23. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, the angel of the Lord struck him down. And he was eaten by worms and died. Now, here's the part that I loved, although I wasn't too excited about reading that. Verse 24. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. I love that the move of God cannot be stopped. Uh, in China, in China there, are, there was a movement at one point to clamp down Christianity. And uh, in one decade, in like, in like 10 years, the country went from 5 million Christians to 50 million Christians. It was, Christianity was spreading like wildfire, even though there was an attempt to hold down that. So here's what happens. Uh, the church was being the church in the midst of persecution, and God was honoring that. <clears throat> so the people there uh, in China who were in leadership, 
came to realize that we can't stop this church thing. In fact, we really don't want to because uh, the church part, um, along with that, came morals and ethics. So if we remove God from the scene, ethics and integrity and morals will go with them. So we'll allow them to do this. So here's what they do. They create a national church of liberal theology. And so what they do is they take the gospel out of the gospel, the things that say Jesus is the only way, out. Uh, greater is he that is in you than he that's in out. Anything that is building up God in man is removed. And essentially what happens is that um, sin becomes institutionalized. Uh, the sin part is okay. The speaking the total truth is not okay. But even in that, this massive group of authentic Christ followers are alive and well in China, and they are evangelizing the world. Now imagine this, a time of persecution, and these people are on fire for God. It makes me feel a little funny because I would like to say that I'd be that kind of person, but you never know what you would be until you were there. If you thought your head was going to be cut off, would you be sleeping the night before? If you were captured in prison for your faith, would you continue to proclaim that truth? Or would you say, only kidding, let me go. But they had this passion about sharing the gospel. And I'll be, I'll be, on, be honest with you, they have the passion today. And it's a passion that goes beyond convenience. We uh, sometimes are passionate about God when it's convenient. Uh, you know, here's the deal about uh, the Christians in China. Um, there was a time when America was sending people all over the world to be missionaries. China is sending people here to the United States to be missionaries because the people are here won't be missionaries to their own people. We, we often forget that the missionary field starts right where we live. You don't have to go to another country to do that. In fact, I have to be honest with you, I have never felt led to go and preach the gospel to people in other countries. Um, because people are dying right around the corner from you, right next door to you every day. And they don't know Christ. But here's the question though now. Um, Chinese churches send missionaries here because people are not doing it. But you can understand the people not sharing Christ here, right? Because uh, what if it's not popular? What if it's seen as being intolerant? What if society doesn't accept the message 
that you and I deliver? I mean, will we be looked down upon? Will we? What if we get a bad name because of it? Who cares? Our job is not to make anyone believe anything. Our job is to share the gospel, the truth about about how Jesus has worked in your life. Listen, God brings people into your life all the time, and that is the person who you're supposed to minister to. That's the missionary field. So here's what I want you to understand in the last few minutes we have today. Turn with me to Isaiah 42, and here's the principle. It's, it's, uh, it's important, so get this. God expects you to glorify him, and he doesn't expect you to glorify anything else but him. Now look at what it says in Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. One of the strongest realities that we need to come to grips with is that we cannot be in idol worshiping business. We can't be in the idol worshiping business. Now listen, idols come in different forms. They don't have to be statues made of gold in different uh, animal pictures. You know what I mean? In, in looking like different animals. Listen to how John finishes 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. It's the very last verse. In fact, when you read it, you think there should be more after that. You turn the page. Like, what's, what else? Here's what he says. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. Okay, and then what? No. That's it. That's the end of the story. Keep yourself from idols. Why does John say that? Because we have turned in to a people who worship idols to the max. Now you might say, no, I don't. Well, yeah, we worship God. We do. We worship God. I get that. People do that. But we worship sports figures, don't we? I mean, people are just in awe of sports figures. We worship movie stars or TV stars. We worship singers. This is American Idol. We worship cars and things like that. Man, I just love that car. I would love to have one of those cars. I'd love to have one of those houses. I'd love to have that guy's spouse. I'd love to have, and you just fill in the blanks. And if it's not that, people worship good things too. Their spouses, their kids, their parents. Well, we're supposed to do that. And here's the thing. It's not supposed to be above our worshiping of God. God deserves our worship, our praise, and our glory. Those things 
are not to be directed any place else but to God. Listen, I, I, I'm saying something that's not popular. Uh, you, you, are you ready? This is not popular to some people, and if this offends you, I don't mean uh, anything terrible by it. I'm just trying to get us to think for a minute. Now, um, I loved youth sports. Um, I'm not so crazy about sports anymore because the people that uh, people look up to are kneeling during the national anthem. The day that happened was the day I stopped watching sports. So if you're involved with that and you hear this, I, I don't know that you are. But if you are, just know that's one man's opinion. And I'm sure you've heard that before. But anyway, uh, um, I think kids' sports, youth sports, is a good thing. I think it's good exercise. It's good for their health. Um, but here's the thing. It has absolutely no value if it takes them away from God. Now I'm not trying to be prudish because that's not right, and I don't and I don't mean to do that. I'm not trying to be really religious either. But do you know what I have found over the years? Do you know when kids play their games on Sunday and Saturday night? A lot of times in Sunday. Do you know when church usually is? Like for some places, Saturday night, but certainly Sunday morning. Do you know when teams usually practice? Wednesday. You know when churches have their services usually midweek? On Wednesday. So if your child is playing in these sports and it's taking a priority over their worshiping God and gathering with other Christ followers, what is it saying to your children. What are you teaching them? Let's look at that Isaiah 42 8 again. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Look at how it says it in Exodus because it's a little bit stronger there. Exodus chapter 20 verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now you read that and you go, okay, well, wait a minute. God is a, is, isn't jealousy a sin? God is a jealous God. He doesn't sin. Now here's the thing that you need to know about that jealousy. He wants we have been made to worship him, to praise him. He doesn't want us going anywhere else. He, he's not saying, I don't want you to have fun. He's saying that I'm a jealous God because he wants what's best for you. God created you to be a worshiper. Look at what it says in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. The town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people 
light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. And then here's the part I want you to key in on. That they may, they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. See, I want to warn you about something as I end this message. People will try to glorify you for good works. And God is the one who needs to get the glory. So often we go, well, thank you. Yes, I, I, I deserve it. I'm special. I, I, I'm really, you know, I'm really, uh, I'll dress up next time you see me. You want my autograph? You know, people want to take credit for something that belongs to God. And uh, look, if you do something amazing, if you do anything, and someone praises you for it, just say, praise the Lord. Give God the glory. Next week, we're going to pull this whole series together, so don't miss it. Sorry about the noise behind me if you hear it. Um, I hope you got something out of this message. Let's pray. Well, dear Lord, thank you for this night. Thank you for this time together. It's our prayer, Lord, that as we leave this place, that we remember mistake number seven, and that is not to, to, to take the glory from God because he is the one that deserves all our praise all our glory in our worship thank you for being with us tonight in Jesus' name we pray amen